welcome to episode 543 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am talking about Monster Kid Radio. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and this week we finally have the long-awaited, much-talked-about episode, The Conversation with Tom Greganis about the movie The Girl in the Invisible Bikini. Finally, I've actually been sitting on this recording for a little while, and I'm excited to finally give it to you, everybody. Thank you for your patience and your understanding as I've been working through a lot of things here to uh, make the show work, to make this episode happen, to keep the podcast and the stream and everything else going. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my monster-loving heart. It means a lot to know that y'all have my back. And in exchange, I'm going to give you this episode where we talk about this movie with Tom. It was a fun conversation, and I'm excited to share it with everybody. In the middle of it, somebody actually called me on the, yeah, for real, telephone. People still use those. Somebody called me on the telephone while I was recording with Tom. So you'll get to hear him briefly as well, where he and I firm up some plans for me to record on his podcast. And I've actually already appeared on that podcast since this recording. You know what? I'll talk about it at the end of the show. The song that you're hearing right now comes from the band Black Valley Moon. I haven't played much music from them lately, and I'd like to play another one of their songs because I really like this band. And the guitarist of the band reached out to me uh, with a question, which I'm going to share with you here in a moment. But first, the song that you're hearing right now is Beach Party of the Damned. It is from their album, The Bathful Sounds of Black Valley Moon, Volume 1. Go check them out at blackvalleymoon.bandcamp.com or blackvalleytampa.bandcamp.com Check out all of their work, download it, buy it, support them, and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. You know what? Let's go ahead and read that email that I got from Sam, or at least parts of it, because some of it is kind of private, you know, just for me, and I appreciate that, Sam. I'm still working on an email to send back to you. I might have already done it by now, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> Sam says he's still listening to the show, and he's been paying attention to everything. He has a favor to ask. So first of all, he's asking about the trailers that I sometimes play on the show. And, you know, I thought I'd mention this because I've had a lot of people ask me about the trailers. Sometimes I just rip the audio straight from a YouTube video. I will go to YouTube. I will find a trailer for one of the movies, perhaps the movie I'm showing this particular week on the show, and I will download the audio. Now, this doesn't always work because sometimes the trailers don't mention the name of the movies. I actually run into this a lot in movies in the 40s. I don't know what that's about, but a lot of times these trailers will flash the title of the movie on the screen, but there's no narration. There's nobody saying what the movie is. So I can't really use those on the podcast because, you know, I want to make sure the movies are identified. But that said, you can look and you can find online resources of just collections of old school radio ads that were sent out to support these films. And this was something that was done in the 50s up until I think the 80s. In fact, I might even have some from the 80s. But if you dig, you can find them. And I love them. I just love the style, especially when it's not just playing a bunch of film clips from the movie itself. Sometimes it could be uh, like a narrator kind of synopsing the film, or sometimes they'll even do a little skit, you know, talking about the movie that they're promoting. And I love those. So that's where I pull most of my trailers from. Also, however, he says this. Since you're an expert on horror movie soundtracks, perhaps you'll know the answer to this. I'm looking for a piece of music that is a droning cello, I think. I'm remembering it being during maybe a graveyard scene, just a very somber solo cello, possibly in Dracula. 
I'm pretty certain it's from one of the old Universal movies. Let me know if you can think of what I'm talking about, as we'd like to use this in an upcoming show. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I wanted to read that here on the show in case anybody out there can think of it. The original Dracula is pretty bereft of sound. Both Dracula and Frankenstein don't have a lot of incidental or soundtrack music in them. Yeah, there's the opening credits, and there's a little bit here and there, but they're almost all talking, no music, for the most part. And then the mummy goes and uses the same opening credit music from Dracula. So, yeah, I don't know, but you say Dracula and you say Graveyard. And that makes me think of The Return of the Vampire, perhaps, but I'd have to go back and watch that. Oh, darn. It's a good movie. I don't mind going back and rewatching it, but I'll give that a look. But if anybody out there can think of maybe a graveyard scene, maybe has Dracula in it, that has a droning sound that could be a cello or some other sort of string instrument, let me know and I'll pass it on to Sam of Black Valley Moon. Now I have some other feedback too. We'll do the voicemails later on though. Also, in last week's episode, I asked people to send in their top three favorite Universal Hammer and Kaiju films. I got a number of responses and I really appreciate it. I'm not going to play it this week here on the show. I'm going to save those until later this month, which means if you haven't done so, you have time to either write in call in or even do what one of the listeners did create a complete mp3 and just email it to me with your top three favorite classic universal monster movies your top three favorite hammer monster movies and your top three favorite kaiju movies if you don't know one or the other like if you're not a kaiju fan but you love your universal and hammer you know send that in too that's fine i would love to put this all together in a big segment or a big feature down the line, maybe a special episode or a special release. I don't know, something. I want to sit on it, though, and release it at the end of the month so you still have time to send that in. And I'll have the Monsters in the Machine here in a moment let you know how you can get a hold of Monster Kid Radio with that or any other feedback that you have for the show. And it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without a couple of segments from some amazing contributors. We have Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review and Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland lined up this week. And when I recorded with Tom, he actually had some nice things to say about Mark's segment and Teddy's segment. So what I did is I pulled those out of the main conversation, and you'll hear it right after the segment in question. So you'll hear Mark's segment, and then you'll hear Tom, and then you'll hear Kenny's segment, and then you'll hear Tom. It's not that... Yeah, I'm making it sound a lot more difficult than it really is. Bottom line is you're going to get a bunch of Tom throughout the episode after these amazing segments. And yeah, we've got all of that. I'm trying to think of anything else we've got coming up. Oh yeah, Kaiju Queen over in the Monster Kid Movie Club, the Monster Kid Astronomy Club. Kaiju Queen in the chat over there let us know about Monster Ramacon happening in Atlanta, Georgia this weekend, October 8th through the 10th. Kaiju Queen's gonna be there. Are you going to be there? If there's anything there that you think Monster Kids might enjoy, maybe give us a call from the show floor. Call into our voicemail and let us know how it's going. Give us a show report or if there's anybody there any guests that monster kids might like to hear from what the heck dial up our voicemail put the phone in their face see if they'll give us a shout out i appreciate the heads up kaiju queen have a good time and that tells me i really ought to include the contact information in case you happen to be going to monsterama or any other events coming up that you think monster kids might want to know about so monsters in the machine uh Tell them how to get a hold of us, and then we'll get into the rest of the show. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast 
monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the email address. That's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. burying in a subterranean world of horror is a victim of the oblong box. Now, for the first time, Vincent Price and Christopher Lee star in Edgar Allan Poe's tale of the living dead, the oblong box. The oblong box in color from American International is rated M. Would you sign your own death certificate? You must before you witness the electrifying night of the living dead and blood and black lace. You must free the theater from responsibility should your heart stop. Paralyzed in fright from the 12 deadly hours of the night of the living dead. Where strange, incredulous molecular mutation incites cadavers to arise live from their coffins to devour all human flesh. And the House of Horror, the House of Blood and Black Lace, a chic French fashion salon where seven breathtaking models will find their hideous, diabolical end. Night of the Living Dead, together with Blood and Black Lace, a terrifying evening with the undead. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com, and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Monsters really exist. That's the claim of Osamu, a boy nicknamed the Monster Highness, or Monster Prince, and it's an assertion he defends in the first of a two-part story arc that begins with the 26th episode of Ultraman. While Osamu is imagining and drawing giant monsters, an academic investigation team from Hanshin University heads to Johnson Island in the South Pacific, where Professor Nakia is joined by Arashi. 
they hope, to find Gamorasaurus fossils, but instead discover the real thing, alive and marauding. And when the news hits the papers, Osamu is vindicated before his peers and treated with newfound respect. Professor Nakia prevails upon the Science Patrol to transport Gomera to Japan for the upcoming International Expo. And all goes according to plan until the 20,000-ton monster revives while being airlifted. Surviving a 2,000-meter fall, Gomera burrows underground to avoid the Defense Force onslaught. The citizens of Osaka are on edge. Osamu and his friend Tekashi are playing Ultraman vs. Kaiju at a construction site when Gomera bursts to the surface, leading Osamu to call out to Ultraman who suddenly arrives on the scene to engage Gomera in a brutal battle. Ultraman takes it on the chin and can only watch as the monster digs his way to safety. But worst of all, he loses possession of the beta capsule as he's getting beaten down. How will Hayata transform into Ultraman the next time he's needed? Where will Gomera appear next? Can the Science Patrol defend the city of Osaka and kids like Osamu from future danger? Find out next week on the Monster Highness Part 2. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting. I want to say thanks to Mark uh, for turning me on and to you too, but for introducing me to the ultra universe. Mm, yeah. Oh man. Uh, was, Mark made me go buy the ultra Q set. He made you. So <laughs> he made me. He did. Species and beam to the head. You got to buy it now. <laughs> he did. It's some kind of subliminal stuff he's got going on there. Cause I'm feeling it for the Ultraman too. Oh man. It's good stuff. Oh, so, it is really cool stuff. Uh, I, I've had so, to slow down on my ultra purchases because everything going on, but yeah. Oh, super good, right? New in concept, Sinbad's Adventures. Bold in adventure, Sinbad's feats of heroism. Mighty in conquest, Sinbad's devastating power. The Lost World of Sinbad. See, Reign of the Flaming Death turned the sky into a fiery inferno. The Giant of Amarkand, whose strength is equal to 1,000 men. The Whip Dance of the Virgins in exotic orgies of evil. See, The Lost World of Sinbad. In color scope, amazing beyond belief. The cold, glossy pages of True Magazine call the killer shrew the world's most savage mammal. You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece, The Killer Shrews. On the whole face of the earth today, there is no place more terrifying than the Valley of Guanji. In Technicolor. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guest are looking at a misunderstood film, The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. This not-so-classic was featured in Monster World 10 from September of 1966, also known as Famous Monsters 79. The article was six pages long and included nine photos. It starts right out with a synopsis. 
Let's look at how it described the first appearance of the film Superstar. She knocks on the crypt. The crypt knocks back. The coffin lid slowly squeaks open. A cadaverous hand appears, followed by a cadaverous arm attached to a cadaver named Hiram Stokely. Hiram Stokely? Well, no matter whatever he's called, Naum Whiteley, Fu Manchu, Imhotep, or the Frankenstein monster, we know the most familiar face in the world of film monsters. It's Boris Karloff. Karloff the corpse. He's dead, only he doesn't know it. Denied entrance to the pearly gates all these years because of certain misdeeds during his life, Hiram is now going to get a second chance. You must perform one good deed, Cecily tells him, in order to gain admittance to heaven. If you can only succeed within the next 24 hours, you will not only win your wings, but you will become young again. It continues with the synopsis, which thankfully does not spoil the ending. You definitely want to see it for yourself. It then describes the dungeon part of the set like this. The various rooms and hallways of the haunted house were built to order in the studio and artificially aged and furnished to provide the proper spooky atmosphere for chills and thrills. Some of the funniest and scariest scenes take place in a stone-enclosed basement chamber of horrors. The prop man nearly blew his top when called upon to come up with chains, manacles, stocks, an Iron Maiden, and electric chair, functioning, faded circus poster, dagger, hunk of pickaxe, branding iron, levers, gun, guillotine, Indian war club, Daniel Boone hat, scimitar, brazier and glazing coals, marble statue, armorer's hammer, ancient pistol, wax figures, and a big light fixture on a parachute. After that, there is a brief interview with the king himself. Does he talk about the superb script, fine cast, and fantastic directing? Let's see. Boris Karloff, 35 years after his starring role in Frankenstein, was interviewed on the set and said, I feel lucky at 78 that I'm still in demand, that producers are willing to bring me from my London home to work in Hollywood. I'm grateful for the many menacing roles which have come my way and the fact that I was typecast for so long as a villain. I'm a fortunate man to have been able to work steadily all these years since 1931, and I hope to keep on working to the very end. I intend to die with makeup on, in front of the cameras, working at my trade as an actor. In the end, the article declares that Karloff is the best thing about the ghost in the invisible bikini, which isn't saying much about the titular ghost in the invisible bikini. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more soon. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Hey, Kenny. I want to say thanks to Kenny, man. You're awesome. Bringing back all those memories from Famous Monsters. When Every time you come on, I think about the first time I picked up a Famous Monsters on Ocracoke Island when I was there for summer vacation and had nothing to do and walked in the store and saw it. It's like, oh, monsters. Do you remember what issue that was? That would have been in the, yes, it was the Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger issue with that really cool cover um, with um, Patrick Wayne. Yeah, that was it.
and I was hooked. <laughs> Got a subscription and was running out. I don't want to win the subscription ran out. But I've got a big stack of them under my bed right now. <laughs> the smog monster spewing its poisonous venom over the earth. Only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla. See Godzilla versus the smog monster. Two monsters battling for the domination of the earth. Godzilla versus the smog monster. An American International Pictures release in color rated G. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, the battle for life on Earth. Night of the Lepus. Rated PG. Be prepared for terror as the screen unleashes the greatest double all-monster earth-shaking shock show. Cronus and She-Devil. Cronus, the most horrifying monster of all time, sucking up the world's lifeblood and atomic energy to keep his fiendish world of outer space alive. And She-Devil, hell's most gorgeous demon. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. swinginest ghost you've ever yearned for, haunting a pre-will-reading seance. I thought I made it clear to you and your wretched crew that you would be disposed of everybody before I read the will. What you have to do is to see that my rightful heirs get the money. Here's one haunted house the M-Gang wants to investigate. What are all these strange people doing here? Make the music pretty, play a happy song. Make the music pretty or I can't go on. Everybody's singing about a broken heart. Don't you know, can't you see it's tearing me apart now? Make the music pretty and I'll tell you why. That's fine, too. I've got the rest of the night. So. Well, <laughs> you know, if, if we're going to do an actual podcast, I really do need to hit the record button. Because I always, I have forgotten, I've had, you know, been interviewing folks and 
get talking like this and forget to hit record and go into the actual podcast content and then go, oh, we're 10 minutes in and I forgot to hit record. Remember exactly what you said <laughs> because it was good and we'll go back. And I'm going to tell you that also when um, about our uh, horror in gaming mm-hmm. episode that we did that screwed up on my side uh, yeah um you need to remember everything you said <laughs> and i'll tell steve the same thing and so we can re-record it later this year sure sure how long ago was that that's only been a year okay. all right all right i'll remember that you know what i'm gonna use it was, i actually you know it might actually be a year to almost the day today <laughs> i think because i was trying to record it for halloween oh no yeah you- it was <laughs> yeah you know i know you know Oh, yeah. I know. And I find it amusing so much so that I'm going to use part of this as our cold open for our discussion today, Tom. <laughs> okay. It's Tom Greganis from Go Forth in Game. Uh, we are podcasting. Oh, wow. Imagine that. <laughs> I actually hit record. The, inter- the interwebs are amazing. Right? All those tubes and the switches and everything, whatever. The, the little rat in the wheel or I don't know how. Yeah. How does the internet work? <laughs> Habitrail, I think. Oh yeah. man! Carry your bats. Something. Yeah, that must. Yeah, be it's it. got to be bats. It's got to be bats. Got to be bats. Yeah. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Howdy, monster kids! It's good to talk with you again, Derek. Oh man, yeah, we are uh, on deck to talk about a movie that uh, I had never seen. Let's see, it came up during a monster kid movie club, I think, didn't it? Uh, yes, it That's did. Because right, we were doing horror comedies. We're doing the and we're doing the spooks. Yeah, yeah, and Kenny put together a famous monsters of film land segment, and this mm-hmm. came up. And I remember some people in the chat said something about having seen the movie. You were one of them. You might have been the only yep. one. So I reached out to you. and was like, okay, you know, I've been looking for an excuse to uh, talk about this movie. Seems pretty absurd. Yeah. Let's do it. And you're on board. So here we are, Tom and I, wearing our invisible bikinis to talk about the ghosts in the. <laughs> <laughs> that's right no no sorry <laughs> we just drove about 80 percent of the audience insane right uh, there they just went screaming into the night the ghost in the invisible bikini 1966 an american international yes. picture the last of the beach movies for AIP. you know i i read that and i see that and i know there are a couple of beach scenes but it it really is there's no beach yeah i mean it's I actually have a soft spot for AIP's beach movies. I can't explain it because they are so far out of what people would expect out of me. But there's just something about them that I find innocent and joyful and fun. Yes. And and I dig them. I love the music. Uh, you know, most of the times, uh, you know, you've right. got these characters are are very broadly portrayed and, and stereotypical and all that. You do have uh what's the guy's name, the biker? Von Zipper. Harvey Lembeck. Von Zipper. Yep. Von Zipper. Yeah, Von Zipper. Yep. And you've got him as like the connecting character, yep. but otherwise they're all kind of standalones. And because it's AIP, you've got a few horror cameos or, or presences as well. But right. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. just they're just fun movies and they, they make me feel warm inside. I think you hit it on the head when you said innocence. That really does characterize those movies, is they're just they're almost in the realm of a Disney movie almost in a sense even yeah. with a net finicello you know right from the, from yeah, the Mickey Mouse right. club so i you, mean 
there's your connection there. there you, go. you know, well, and this one's got Tommy Kirk, who is another Disney guy. There you go. That's right. Speaking of Tommy Kirk, I was, you know, I know, oh, I've seen him. I watched uh, Swiss Family Robinson not too long ago, mm-hmm. and I recognize him. And I remember he was in a couple other things. I got to looking, you know, on IMDb at his pedigree, and he's got some uh, good Monster Kid pedigree out there. I was a little on the surprise side. He was in Village of the Giants, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mars Needs Women, of course. There you go. That's where I was going to go. He was in. Yep. And it's alive. Yeah, then some later ones. There was one called Billy Frankenstein, Club Dead, and Education of a Vampire. So those must have been when he was older because I believe they were in the late 90s. 80s, 90s, Miami. Yeah. Billy Frankenstein. I've never heard. Oh, it's a Fred Olin Ray film. So, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I love that your response was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, I know I know of Fred Olin Ray, and he he does make some good movies. He does make movies. I can't think of one right off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, Tommy Kirk's in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, most people will recognize him from Old Yeller. Yeah, you know, which is probably his best role. Pretty intense role. Pretty intense movie for. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. For what it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ooh. It's just a hair above Marginee's women. <laughs> Oh man, you kill yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, now I've not heard of Everybody this. needs it. Hey, Marginee's women's out on uh uh Tubi or something like that right now. Everybody stop the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and finish up. So I have not heard of this movie here. Um What is it? You know, when you think of the bikini movies, that was I almost only think of AIP. Right, yeah. But when I look at Tommy Kirk's filmography, there's a movie on here that came out after this film. It's a Bikini okay. World. That's huh. not an AIP film, I don't think. I'm not familiar with that movie. The Bikini Bunnies are busting out all over. It's the tagline. Trans America cool. Films. Huh. Interesting. Well, it's got America in there. So it's a, uh, you know, there's an A from. <laughs> <laughs> wow. copy there's a there's a stretch there's, uh, yeah oh tommy there's the letter the letter a is in the title <laughs> tommy kirk plays a skateboarding champion in the film okay wow that came out in the 60s interesting yeah well now i want to see this so yeah so they'll do a remake with tony hawk well they probably would have done the remake with tony hawk in like the early 90s I, it might well be. i'm sh- yeah i'm sure there's some 15-year-olds out there who are skateboard phenoms. I I, I don't know. I'm not into that. Cool. Oh, back to the Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. Okay, hold on, hold on, on one second. Oh, okay, go, yeah. You know who else is in It's a Bikini World? No. Bobby Boris Pickett. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, so there's your music connection. Oh, Holy cow, Bobby Pickett is in It's a Bikini World? Sign me so up. You're going, uh, I was going to say, you're looking for it on YouTube, aren't oh, you? Uh, I'm all in, dude. Just, oh. Yes. <laughs> so, so you got to pull it. You'll have to pull a monster kid rabbit out of your hat so you can talk about it on the I'll show. figure something out. Anyway, let, let's cool. let's go back to Ghost in the Invisible Bikini before I get way too sidetracked. The first thing you'll note about this movie is the Ghost's Invisible Bikini is probably not what you were thinking when you heard the title. 
Yeah. It's so invisible that you just see right through her all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's invisible. She's a ghost. You're not seeing anything. Yep. Nope. And, and really, I mean, were you really expecting to? I know. Mm-hmm. I know. No, the, the title is designed not. to provoke, but yeah. Ain't happening. And I'm sure back then it probably did. Yeah. Or if you're, you know, if you're 12 or 14 years old. Sure. And, you, sure. and you're seeing the bikini and you know, it's a bikini movie anyway. So you know what you're in for. Right. You know, at this point yeah. it's a pretty standard formula. There's, but I feel like this one kind of subverted the formula a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, normally the formula seems to be, you know, the boy and a girl and they're in love and then something comes between them and then the movie resolves when they come back together. And yeah, it's pretty basic stuff. Right. And right. in this one, it's a little different. Right. They start out not really knowing each other, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're not going to get involved with each other. Right. This is just not going to happen. Of course, you know, the whole time we're like, yeah, right. This is a bikini movie. Of course, at the end, you're going to get together. (laughs) But like you said, it wasn't, you know, Frankie and Annette, you know, kissing on each other from the second bar of the music. So, yeah, this is a strange little movie (laughs) that I was, you know, doing the little research that I do and when I'm going to be on the show so I can sound like I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. (laughs) So it was originally called Pajama Party in a Haunted House. Okay. And apparently they shot it, and this is very obvious in the movie. They shot the movie and the head honchos at AIP, uh, uh, I guess it was probably Arkoff, didn't care for it. Okay. So they went back and had the idea it was, or maybe it was Nicholson's, probably Nicholson. Now that I think since Susan Hart's in oh, in this, point. and so they decided they would go back and shoot the scenes with Susan Hart and Boris Karloff and add that storyline on top of the movie. So you get this opening scene with Susan Hart and Boris Karloff, and sets up you know, what the new storyline is, and then interspersed throughout the movie, Susan Hart's superimposed into the movie at various spots, and then they'll break every once in a while, cut back to Boris as he's watching all the shenanigans through the crystal ball and, and back and forth like that. So this was a movie that originally didn't have Susan Hart or Boris Karloff in it at all. Right. Uh, because the honchos didn't care. It wasn't quite what they were hoping for, I guess. Maybe the if they did any test audiences, they were you know not real happy about it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I have no idea what the uh, <laughs> what the decision making process was behind that. Susan Hart needed some work. <laughs> well, I, maybe, maybe, maybe. Hey, Nicholson wanted to put his wife in something. I, I don't know. You know, maybe that was the thing. Right. Um, Knowing this going into the movie, and unfortunately I did know this going into the movie, right. it becomes painfully obvious that's what they did. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, I knew going in, but I do wonder if it would have held up a little bit better if you didn't know ahead of time that that's what it, they did. It holds up a little bit better because I did not know this the first time I saw okay. it. And so it you don't notice it as much. You know, that idea is not in the back of your head and you're like, oh, here she comes. And she just pops in and pops back out. And is obviously superimposed, but you know, if you didn't know, it doesn't. It's not that noticeable if you're not aware of it. 
But if you're aware of it, oh boy, is it noticeable. <laughs> That's true. Especially, I feel like once or twice, not only do they superimpose Susan Hart on the screen, but they do a freeze frame so that she has time to yeah. do her line of dialogue or two. Yes. Yes. That was like, oh my word, really? Did they just do that? Yeah. What, can she stop time also? <laughs> I don't know if but, we were supposed yeah. to notice that or not. I, I don't know. I don't, but yeah, it, yeah. it happened. It happened. It was in the movie. No, so no. You know, maybe they were just so scared they froze. Sure. Yeah, that'll work. That's <laughs> what we're supposed to think. So there, there's a couple of different things going on here. Uh, Karloff is this older guy whose girlfriend died years prior. Uh, the girlfriend is played by Susan Hart, and he wants to go, quote unquote, up there instead of, quote unquote, down there. <laughs> So he's got to do this good deed, and this good deed is kind of looking out for his heirs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they're his heirs, though. They're not at all related to him, right? really. I think one of them's a cousin. Right. Yeah. There's going to be a reading of the will. There's a lawyer involved uh, who is, as a Halfton R in movies like this, really kind of scheming to keep the money for themselves, right? Right. Uh, and the lawyer is played by our guy, uh, Basil Rathbone. Right. Which is great. He's fun. Uh, you know? Yeah. So you've got Basil Rathbone, who at one point somebody says, hey, that guy looks like Sherlock Holmes. Which, Right. Perfect, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got. And I think it was it's Von Zipper who says it, yeah. I think. So you've got him and you've got his associates trying to either scare off the heirs or just flat out kill him. Right. Uh, to get rid of them so that he can get the inheritance. So it's up to Karloff's character. I forget what his character's name was. Uh, Hiram. Hiram. So it's up to Hiram to kind of keep an eye on everything that's going on in that crystal ball thing and instruct the ghost, <laughs> Cecily, uh, to help out. And it's weird the way they do it. They do it. But, you know, she's kind of helping out and giving advice and that sort of thing. In the meantime, we're watching... Right. Uh, Rathbone as Reginald Ripper and his team, I guess for lack of a better term, kind of try to knock right. everybody off. There is one character in this that did bug me quite a bit, and that's the the chicken feather character. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not the most, for lack of a better term, politically correct, would not play well today right. at all. Nope. But you, yeah. you, do you know that uh, Buster Keaton was supposed to play that character? You know, I read that. Yeah. Um, I still don't know if I would have liked it. No, I, I wouldn't have liked it any anymore, but it would have been a little more interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it would have fallen in with the AIP, with the beach stuff, because he was in, what, one or two of those yeah. earlier movies? Yeah. yeah. So Chicken Feather is a Native American character who does all the, quote unquote, comedic, stereotypical Indian stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he was wrecked. Th- he he played that Indian character in a couple other things. I don't remember what, but I had seen him do it on TV. And I was like, I know it wasn't Gilligan's Island, but it was you know something like that, like a Sidney Sheldon mm. movie or a Leonard, um, one of those sitcom kind of things. Sure. And you got to have a guy in a gorilla suit, of course. So you've got Monstro the gorilla who. Man, they were really reaching to kind of make this thing a story, right? <laughs> the way they, yeah. they they work Chicken Feather in and Monster of the Gorilla, played by George Barrows, Robot Monster right. himself. 
<laughs> Absolutely. That was great because he was fun. Oh, yeah. And I was watching, you know, since we we done Gorilla Day on Monster Kid Movie Club, I was watching, you know, to see his gorilla mannerisms and stuff. He had a couple that he did all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's extremely recognizable. Oh, yeah. In the 60s and 70s, or even if watching Three Stooges and, and that kind of stuff, uh, you saw George Burroughs' gorilla suit in his suit doing his thing. You know, probably one of the ones that was most recognizable for us monster Yeah, kids. I mean, for the time in particular, you know, I know we talked about Charlie Gamora also being one of the masters of the ape suit. And he is. He flat out is. And you got Bob Burns on later era as well. But you got Robot Monster, man. <laughs> you, yeah. You got Robot Monster. Wouldn't it have been even better if it just had, if it would, they just gone and had Robot Monster in there? <laughs> oh, oh, man, that would have made the movie much better. That would have been fun. Yeah. That would have been a lot of fun. That would have been fun. Throw him in there. Uh, I wanted to mention, you know, we talked about Ripper's uh, henchman. The main guy is uh, Jesse White, which everybody who's watched television in the last, seen a TV show in the last 50 years will recognize as. Um, he was on everything back in the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies, I think. And he played this similar kind of character in a lot of those shows, yeah. uh, kind of the, the henchman sleazy, you know, snake oil kind of guy. He was a character actor, you know, and, and, yeah. and definitely played the role, you know, he, he really kind of embodied that in this. And, uh, in Sinestra is another one of the Sinestra. Yeah. yeah. So Jesse White is Jay Sinister Hulk. Uh, Quinn O'Hara yes. plays Sinestra, who is trying to seduce and or kill uh, one of the guys yeah. there. Um, I found her delightful. Uh, I thought she was fun. Goo goo. Yep. Goo goo. That's the guy's name. Goo goo. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. He's, he's one of the cousins or a nephew of the cousin or something. He's like one of that. the heirs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the big things, you know, Sinestra, who's the the bombshell of the movie, but can't see to save her life when she takes her glasses off. So they 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 go to that well a lot. Oh yeah, and and it sometimes it's pretty interesting, but then that the the scene that gets played up so much in all the content that I read about the movie with her singing to what she thinks is this guy, but it's actually a suit of armor trying to seduce it Mm -hmm. and then feed it some poison. She's not got a great voice in particular, particularly compared to Nancy Sinatra, who's in the movie too. Yeah. Of all people, we've got Nancy Sinatra in the film. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. I mean, she's there to sing and that's about it. Right. But she looked good too. And, and she sings, you know, this I think was early before these boots were made for walking came out a couple months later, I think, or about the same time the movie came out or something like that. I think it's but, the same year, um, but I don't know what happened first. Yeah. But, she, you know, she's the what second secondary character love interest. She's Goo Goo's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So she's fighting up against uh, Sinestra. <laughs> And then we get a great scene, your requisite sleepover pajama scene with all the girls <laughs> with Piccola, Piccola Poopa. She was the girl who sang 
the song about go basically no you have to stand up and fight for your man kind of thing apparently she was a, an italian pop star okay and they brought her over for some reason um to and was in this movie okay uh yeah so there you go. She got to sing yeah. in an American movie, and that's all I could find out about her. <laughs> yep, completely overshadowed by Nancy Sinatra, but you know what? <laughs> hey, there, there's a lot of people who get overshadowed by Nancy Sinatra singing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I can see that for sure. This is your basic standard, you know, 60s haunted house yep. kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And because it's a beach party movie, they've got to have Von Zipper and his gang show up. And I mean, Harvey yep. Lembeck's just fun to watch. He's just so cool. He's great. You know, I've seen him in those other movies, and I never really put this together. He reminded me a lot of Lou Costello. Yeah, I could see that. In a sense. And maybe Shove and Bud and Lou together. Okay. You know, he was channeling both of them. Yeah, because he's in all those beach movies. He's, apparently, he's in uh, Dr. Goldfoot, too. Dr. Goldfoot the and Goldfoot the Bikini movies. Machine. Bikini Machine, more bikinis. That's right. Hey, you know, it's AIP, man. And that's Vincent Price. Hey, and, it's, and Vincent Price. Yeah, I'd watch those two times before I'd watch this again. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, just Monster Kids, just to let you know, I watched this about four times. It's not a horrible movie. You really did watch it a lot. <laughs> I watched yeah. it once. Well, I, you know, I like to do my research, oh, Derek. I'm a scientist. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Even even with movies, you know, we have to take these things seriously sometimes, even when they're not meant to be taken seriously. Well, and this one certainly isn't. I mean, this is... No, it's absolutely it's not. It's, it's a romp. It's a, a romp is the exact word I was going to use. It's a complete romp. Yes. Even right to the very end, the ultimate payoff when, you know, Karloff's character, when Hiram is told, right. he's told that they'll also make him younger. You know, they'll put him at a much younger age, make him much younger than he is now because he's an old man and all right. that. So even that final gag at the end, which I'm not going to ruin that one, but the final gag at yeah. the end with how that turns out. And uh, Susan Hart looking breaking the fourth wall basically to deliver the punchline. Yeah, right. Yeah, even that yeah. is just a fun little bit. If I had not known that it was stuff that was entered in or put into the film later, I think right. maybe I would have enjoyed that part a little bit more. I personally, as much as I love I love Karloff, I didn't need that interruption in the film. Right. Yeah, I think it would have worked just fine for me otherwise. Yeah, it makes me wonder if he was filming something else for him at the time. And they are like, hey, you want to make an extra day's pay? <laughs> we need you to help rescue this movie. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he's he's Karloff. You know, you can watch him do anything, and it's going to be great. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to uh, disappoint. You know, I'll watch Karloff no. anything. You know, he's just the man. And you've got the musical numbers, and you've got all this other stuff on here. And the music's not not horrible no not at all i mean Nancy no, it's, sinatra. Pretty, it's fun it's inter- entertaining nature sinatra's geronimo song is actually really pretty good sure. and the uh who was who the group they were unrecognized uh, the bobby fuller four bobby fuller four mm-hmm. uh they did i Some fought reason. the law i fought the law that was their yeah. big song they were they were passable you know it was a, they did their job mm-hmm. well they provided some nice music and and some uh, 
entertainment for us. Yeah. Nice backing of Nancy Sinatra in her song. And we get that really early in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. So it's following your standard beach formula. It's also following your standard, you know, haunted house formula with uh, hidden doors and secret panels and tunnels and things like that. And, oh, we get the bonus of that Hiram was – was he a circus owner or carnival owner or something like that? <laughs> because he's got a chamber of horrors in his basement of his mansion. Because, of course, he does. Yeah. I, if I had a mansion – in a basement, I, I might do that if I owned a circus. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, you know. uh, the what's her name? Susan Hart's character, Cecily. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she died in the in an act, act that they were doing. I can't remember if it was uh, like an aerialist act or if he was throwing knives at her or something like that. But she died in the show i yeah i don't remember yeah that's really quick i mean they don't they allude to it in the um the opening and i think that there's a poster featuring her in the crypt maybe it would have been something that they added in later uh so yeah yeah because after they got done with the shoot you know, the higher ups at AIP are like, yeah, we're going to do some reshoots and then do the stuff with Carlock. Right. So that's something they would have had to have entered, you know, put in later on. That would have probably had to have been in that scene on that set somewhere, probably. Yeah. You got Ripper and his henchmen trying to kill or, or scare off the heirs, Tommy Kirk. Oh, we hadn't even mentioned Deborah Wiley. Mm. Yeah. How could we have forgotten her? Well, wasn't, She's know. the love interest. Yeah. <laughs> well, we mentioned her, that love interest for Tommy Kirk. Right. But she's in this, too. So she doesn't do a whole lot. She doesn't. I mean, she's set up as a character that I feel like could do something. Uh, Tommy Kirk's character, Chuck, clearly wants to get with Lily. Clearly. And Lily's putting the stop to it. She's not doing this kind of, I don't know, damsel in distress routine, really, at first. She's her own woman, and she don't need no man, you know, that sort of thing. And and that's great. She's setting up all these boundaries, and that's how the movie starts with her. But eventually, right. the movie does kind of devolve into a, well, she's the love interest. So she's in danger at some point. Yeah. yeah. Which was, you know, I thought that was a nice callback to all, a lot of earlier movies. You know, a nice trope that they added, a fun trope that they added, you know, putting her on a a log on a buzzsaw, <laughs> which, you know, you happen to have, if you're going to have a chamber of horrors, you must have a working buzzsaw as part of your chamber of yes, horrors. You, you must have, you know, something that will operate and kill somebody as part. It's got to be authentic, right. you know, of no course, half measures know. here. <laughs> <laughs> half measures. Ah, ah. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Oof. Excellent. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Oh, well, you know, you get your busload of, of your beach kids show up in the first five minutes mm-hmm. and immediately they're out at the pool. And then we have Nancy Sinatra sing. And then the trope that they didn't do that I was really, really expecting mm-hmm. is the shot down the hallway with Monstro or somebody chasing them from room to room <laughs> to room back and forth across the hallway. Scooby-Doo style. And then, you know, yeah. the Scooby-Doo thing. Yeah. Oh. You know, running into each other kind of thing. 
Yeah, they didn't do that. That would have been great. Yeah, speaking of Scooby-Doo, this had a kind of a Scooby-Doo feel it to it. It really did. And I think you even yeah. said something to me about that in a message on Facebook or something when right. we were talking about setting up a time to do this. Uh, it really does have that vibe. And I like that Scooby-Doo vibe. Uh, yeah. I, I like that style. Uh, you know, I've teased over the years about maybe doing something Scooby-Doo specific here on the show and just haven't really pulled the trigger on that. But yeah, yep. I do just like Scooby. Me in mind when you I do. love Scooby Doo stuff, man. Classic oh, Scooby Doo so is good. awesome. Yeah, it's on Tubi, by the way. I've got a couple of DVDs here of some of the early stuff, and yep. it's just even the music is fantastic. Oh yeah, don't don't. Speaking of music, so we got to talk we go. about music. There we go. <laughs> there you go. So they had a lot of that very very similar incidental music going on that you hear in a like in a Scooby Doo yep. episode. Yeah. It really does feel a lot like a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah. Or I met somebody that I read. I don't remember. I didn't write down where I read it. Somebody said it feels like an episode of the huh. monkeys, um, but it's just too long. It's like a too long monkeys episode. Interesting. So I could see that too. And again, they they had a lot of this speaking of, of sound and music. You know, we got a lot of that. Um, those sound effects, you know, the boink and and woo, you know, woo, woo, woo kind of stuff. Especially when things happen. Yeah, especially when Susan Hart's on screen. Right. It's like she came with the sound effects. Yeah, they followed her around. Or, or Von Zipper. Oh, yeah, yeah. It happened with him a lot, oh, too. Yeah. Which, well, let's talk about him a little okay. bit because he's a fun character. Okay. So Harvey Limbeck originated Eric Von Zipper in the, was it the Malibu Rat Pack? motorcycle gang in the first beach movie i think so i think i think so i think he's been in every one of the aip beach movies you know he's the leader of the motorcycle gang of 30 to 40 year olds you know they have their black leather jackets and and they all act kind of stupid especially him but you know it's fun and he's the same character you know all the way through He's a, a linkage. He adds another slight plot point in there. They find out, you know, there's money. Uh, oh, we forgot to say it. There's money. The inheritance is hidden in the house somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of the movie is the characters running around trying to find the money, or some of them anyways. So that's what the Rat Pack's doing, and they add some hilarity to the show as we're going through with Von Zipper getting hurt. Almost every time he's on screen in some way or fashion um, or scared. He's the one who sees all the scary monsters with, who are really the, the henchmen dressed up in costumes. There's another Scooby-Doo thing for us. <laughs> the monsters are guys in suits. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and one of the suits is uh, what? The, uh, the eye creatures? Uh, the Buchanan film. Yeah, the Buchanan yeah. film. Right. Yeah. And uh, the other one was a mummy costume that looked like it might have been from the Aztec mummy movies, but I don't know that for a fact. But yeah, so they're running around. Uh, You got Monstro the Gorilla running around too. He gets breaks out of his cage during a rainstorm. I thought that was kind of a cool looking scene when he breaks out. The movie is moving and moving and it moves. Everything moves down into the Chamber of Horrors for the climax of the movie. Monstro's down there. Deborah 
Wally's character is down there. She's fainted, and he sets her down and goes and has a funny scene with Von Zipper. And then she wakes up, and the bad guys get her and tie her to the buzzsaw. And then we get some some fighting with speeded up people running around in fast motion and bumping in each other, knocking each other down in your classic 60s style. And Deborah Wally almost getting cut in two, and then run, you know, they run over there and stop it and reverse it, and she backs up. And then somebody, the bad guys run over there and make it start it up again, and she starts. So you get that about four or five times before we finally get towards the end of the movie. Very important. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She's in constant danger yep. from the real life buzzsaw that's in the basement of Boris Karloff's mansion. Yep. <laughs> as are lots and lots of props from different movies apparently you know cut corners uh, man save money on hey, property on uh set design that's absolutely right and you know all the uh we call them animatronics but the scenes from the chamber of horrors it's not just like a wax museum kind of thing these are robotic you know, scenes where, you know, the, the guy stabbing the woman, Jack the Ripper kind of character. And they're ro- supposed to be robots, but, you know, they're not robots. They're an actor and an actress trying their best to act and move like they think a robot should move. And then, yeah, there's several of those sticking around and lots of different props and cobwebs. And, you know, it's your it's a this is a very 60s movie like we said earlier it's a episode of scooby-doo that ran too long you know you said it's could be I, i'm gonna go with the monkey i like the monkeys one better because it feels the monkey ones is actually a lot yeah, more accurate especially with the way it's yeah. lit and colored and the, the set design feels very much yep like a 60s yep. tv dinner. well looking at the uh people who were involved the two writers were gag writers for for a long time one of them actually worked on some of the three stooges shorts and then don weiss the director went on to direct batman the bat 60 you know 66 tv Mm -hmm. show so he you know he carried some of that over into batman so it's got that kind of feel too the monkeys though i think i I wish i had written down blog that i read that in but that really really characterizes it well and I would bet that there's an episode of the monkeys in which one of the monkeys is probably inheriting some money from an uncle or something. And the lawyer involved or somebody involved is trying to kill them. And it's in a haunted house kind of set up, <laughs> you know, same basic storyline, just the monkeys instead of Tommy Kirk. Pretty much. And Deborah Wally. Yeah. And you'd still you'd even get the music, you know, because at some point they're either going to stop and play their instruments, or their music's going to play over top of them running back and forth across the hallway, slamming doors and running into each other, kind of thing. Sure, this a fun. It's a fun movie, you know. Take your head out of everything that you might be thinking about and just enjoy it and and kind of space while you're watching. <laughs> it's it's fun. It'll be familiar to yeah. you. Too, it's a, it's a comfortable kind of movie in that respect. D- d- too. Despite the fact that the first keyword that comes up when you look this up on the Internet Movie Database is "bound and gagged," um, 
<laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Which I guess does technically happen in the movie. It's a very light yeah. film. It's a romp. It's it's easy romp. uh to to digest. It's easy on the you just kick back, watch it and have fun with it. Uh you know, we were talking we danced around the music a little bit. I'm going to mention Les Baxter yeah. as the composer. Right Les Baxter Oh, is, I didn't yeah. notice that. He did I think he did all the beach movies if most of okay. not all. Uh, you know, he worked on a lot of AIP and I like Les Baxter a lot. Uh, he can do the beach movies. He can do the Dunwich mm-hmm. horror. He could do right. all this crazy stuff. And he's just underrated. I feel like, uh, outside he did of a lot of TV too. Yeah. Didn't he? Yeah. I mean, outside of okay. people like us who obsess about this kind of stuff, he, he, right. why is my phone ringing? It's Steve Turek. <laughs> oh boy. We'll put him on. Hold on. <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Hey, Steve Turek. Steve Turek, you are live on Monster Kid Radio. Uh oh okay. How you doing, man? I'm I'm actually recording with Tom Greganus right now. <laughs> oh, I think so. I think so. Uh how this three o'clock gonna be okay? Yeah, three o'clock, yeah, because that'd be you're talking about three o'clock your time, right? Correct. It should be fine. It okay. Be fine. If if there's a problem, I'll let you know. Okay. Otherwise, it'll be an interesting conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll have to go watch it too, so I'll know what y'all are talking about. I may have actually seen it, but I think I I think like you, Derek. I think I'm remembering Return to Horror. There you go. That was more of a slasher movie, right? All right, Steve. Talk to you later. Have fun with the uh, whatever the ghost in Miss Bikini or the naked bikini or whatever you're watching. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Right. <laughs> well that that was fun that was cool yeah uh, there you go you should do a call-in show so for people who uh get to hear that steve turek does the diecast movie podcast and i've been invited to join him on his podcast to talk about the movie horror high which spins cool. out of the conversation that he and i had uh, about the movie let's kill uncle which was fun. Oh, man, it was so much fun. Who start? It starts the I same same guy, Pat Cardi. Pat Cardi. Yep. So stay tuned for that. I'll be on an episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast to talk about horror high in the future. Fantastic. All right. So we were I, talking I, about yeah, Les Baxter. Les Baxter, the man who did the music for this movie, mm-hmm. and that's what he did. The music for the movie. <laughs> that's right. Now, Les Baxter did a lot. Uh, he worked for AIP. He's one of the AIP guys, uh, but he did a lot of television as well. Uh, he did stuff for like Lassie and <laughs> things like that. Right. Uh, but just numerous, numerous film projects that I love. And I just love his music. It turns up in a lot of the Larry Buchanan stuff because the Larry Buchanan stuff that for AIP were really just remakes of previous films. Right. And yep. the Buchanan films use the original music from the original film they were remaking. Right. So you've got that uh, going for it. And, and it's great. It's great. You know, I love me some Les Baxter. What's the word when music's playing up 
over top of it. It's just background music, I guess, um, that we kind of mentioned before, but that he was responsible for. Do you get that, you know, that creepy kind of that I keep going back to Scooby Doo because honestly, that's the best example of it. I, I see Scooby and Shaggy sneaking around sure. playing with this music playing in the background. Oh, sure. You get a lot of that kind of stuff going on in this movie, too. We said it before. This is a nice romp. It's a comfortable movie. Mm-hmm. It would be a really good one to if you had a Saturday and felt like beach movies to put, you know, just sit down and watch a couple, two or three, and include this one. It's a, it's um, a nice way to end the series too because it's it's like it's easing you yeah. out of the beach thing for AIP because it's yeah. the last one, and you know there there's got the elements from the beach movies. It's kind of easing us out of the whole thing. You know, AIP really kind of started that little subgenre or, or mastered it, and right. mm-hmm. basically ended it, with the exception of it's a bikini world, which I really really want to see. <laughs> yeah, that makes me curious. Now I'm gonna write that down. It's a bikini world. Oh, I'll watch it. Oh, I know you will, and I will too if I can find it. And if you find it. Let me email me or text me on Facebook. Let me know what where you found. Oh, it. sure, sure. I mean, it's, it's directed uh, by Stephanie Rothman, who did um, some other questionable stuff. <laughs> I don't know that. Uh, she did the Velvet Vampire, which I actually really liked. It's oh, a nineteen seventies okay. vampire movie, one of my favorite seventies yeah, vampire films. Well, there's another one I need to watch. Velvet Vampire. She worked with Jack oh, Hill a few just... times too. Interesting. Jack Hill is who? Uh, Spider Baby. Okay. Wow. You know, 10 degrees of everybody. Yeah. All right. You got to connect it back to the creature. Oh. You know, here's your seven degrees of the creature. All right. All right. All right. Well, which one? This movie? Do this movie. All right. Well, I mean, I'd probably go through the Karloff connection. Yeah. We'll get Karloff into, um, oh, wait a minute. Ah. Could, Could I do that? I don't know if you can. Can you get Karloff back? Who appeared with Karloff? Well, I mean, I can cheat if I can get Karloff to Cheney Jr. Because Cheney Jr. was with uh, Evelyn Anchors and the Wolfman. And she she yeah. was married to Richard Denning from Creature. Richard Denning. Which, okay. which is usually my cheat. If I can't come up with an actual on-screen connection. Then it's a marriage or something yeah. like that. But yeah. why am I drawing a blank on Karloff and Cheney Jr.? Oh, that episode of Route 66. There you go. Okay, there you yeah, go. That'll there work. You go. I'm sure there's a, a cleaner right. way to go, but, you know. Hey, hey, you did it. <laughs> In less than 60 seconds. Watch him, folks. Step right up. You can see Derek make connections with the creature all day long, <laughs> only for a nickel. <laughs> I haven't done the creature connection in a long time. <laughs> well, let's see. You're not rusty. You did a good job of it. You know something else we need to do before we get oh, off the I air? Oh, I know. I'm not letting this. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to let that happen. Let's Good, because I got a question for you. What What else can we say about this movie that we haven't already said? Uh, production values are pretty decent. Uh, it's standard AIP beach or standard AIP movie in general, but beach movies in particular. Basil Rathbone was fun in this. Mm-hmm. Not enough on the screen, I don't feel like. I would have liked to have seen him more. He plays that character mm, well. Mm. You know, it's just Jack Nicholson in The Terror with Boris Karloff. Yeah. And Nicholson was in uh, a movie with John Agar. Uh, 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 St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Okay. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. That's a shorter but route. My brain is like... <laughs> 
I said creature, and you just kind of fade I, I out. I will didn't make you? this work. <laughs> ha ha ha! And you did. So bravo! Uh, Fantastic. Anyway, you were saying, Tom. <laughs> I was just saying that you know this is this is just a good fun. It's a good Saturday afternoon yeah. movie. Yeah, it's pretty or it's pretty know, chill, pretty laid back, and get some popcorn. Right. Have the kids Pop over, in, you know. Yeah, there you go. Wait until the summer. Put up your sheet and, and get your projector and, and have it out by the pool. Oh, man. How awesome would it be? To, I would love to go. I would go. I, I don't know how many people around here would go, but I would go. If there was a place doing a screening of the beach movies, I'd be yeah. there in a minute, in a hot minute. So talk to the Joy Cinema and see if, <laughs> if he can get some beach movies for Weird Wednesday. <laughs> this would possibly fit. It's, it's a weird movie. You know, really, all the beach movies are kind of weird. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> the, the, the conceits that you're being asked to accept in a lot of those mm-hmm. movies are, are pretty thin, pretty far-fetched. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's a nice way yeah. to kind of cap the beach series and, you know, have fun with some Karloff along the way. And, you know, a little right. bit of a wink and a nod as the movie's you know going through. You got some fun music. The, the acting's fine. Tommy Kirk's always fun to watch. And, yeah, yeah it's mm-hmm. a fun little laid-back film. That's a great way to put it. There we go. So we didn't do it at the beginning of the show. We're doing it now near the end of your conversation here with your time here at Monster Kid Radio. We're going to play a round of the Classic Five, which is a way for us to get to know you a little bit better, although we know you. You've been on the show quite a bit. You're a friend of MKR, part of the quote-unquote inner circle. Ooh, I'm special. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so A lot of people would say I'm special. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> So I have a deck of cards here and I'm going to draw five of them. Each one of these cards says this or that, which movie do you prefer style question? Now, normally I would just pull the cards and ask the questions, but I've got a few that I want to kind of tailor to the theme of this week's episode. So Tom, are you ready to play a round of the classic five? I'm always ready for the classic five. Wow. We got, got, got a voice change and everything. You know, it's real now it's on. What classic monster would you like to see in a beach movie? <laughs> classic monster in a beach movie. I'm not going to go with creature. I was say, it was out of my mouth and I realized, so oh, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, that's too easy. That's just way too easy. Because uh, he has been at the beach. Um, in the second yes, one in has. particular. Yes, he has. Let's go. Ha, 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 ha. Here you go. So following the theme of our our film, how about the Invisible Man? <laughs> okay. The or the or the Invisible Girl. You know, one of the Invisibles. I could see given how the Invisible Woman is played, kind of a light yeah. kind of movie. I right. I could see the Invisible Woman working really well in a beach movie. There we go. Oh, I like it. Well, I'll I'll have that be my answer, the Invisible Woman. Yeah. Or Godzilla. Godzilla in a beach movie. <laughs> That's a short movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, question number two. Yes. What movie would you add Boris Karloff to in a wraparound sequence? Ooh. What movie? Well, every movie needs more Boris Karloff. <laughs> Creature from the Black? No. <laughs> Jaws. <laughs> oh, yeah. How would you work that in? I have no idea. 
he, he'd have to be like one of the fishermen who just knows better than to go out looking for the shark, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's Quint's father. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> that would work, uh-huh. you know, because the, the, the accents would even work oh. out fairly okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll do that. With Karloff in Jaws. Karloff is, is in Jaws as Quint's father, and he's like, no, no, don't. You shouldn't. <laughs> You're going to need it. And he could give the bigger boat <laughs> line early. Oh, man, I wish I could do a Karloff impression. I would love to hear Karloff's voice yeah. saying you're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, yeah. listeners, if you can do a good Karloff, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> yes. All right. Third question. Number three. What monster movie needs some musical numbers? Oh, cool. Hmm. Creature from the Black what Lagoon. Could be? <laughs> no, no. You can't improve upon the creature. Monos the Hands Even- of Fate. <laughs> Oh, wow. I was going in that kind of similar direction. What could be improved by adding in uh, Dick Dale? (laughs) Dick Dale or Nancy Sinatra or any of them, really? Nancy Sinatra, yeah, any of those guys. Oh, shoot. Ah, aha. Yeah? Invasion of the Dead starring Blue Demon and Professor (laughs) Zobat. Oh, that movie. Oh, that movie. I tell you. It has a place in your heart. It does. It's it's a fine film. Yeah. It's it's a film. <laughs> we said it before and we'll say it again. <laughs> it's a movie that'll have you laugh. It's a movie. It's another one of those movies that they they came in and they had to shoot some extra stuff because they didn't have them. Yes. Oh man, are, is, are we developing a thing oh, with me? Oh man, that's that's the sequence right there. Wow. All right, so we have to find a another movie that has stuff added to oh, it. Oh man, at the end. All right, so I'll have that. Keep that in the back of my yeah, head. Yeah, I can't think of any. Not right off the. But top, I'm sure there are plenty. I'm sure there are plenty. So, right, so that was number three. Yeah, right? and I yeah. don't have any others that are beach specific. Okay. So, unless you got something. Just, well, just grab me a card. I'm going to ask you one at the end, but grab a card and then tell, and we'll do four and then I'll do number five. All right. You know, you mentioned Godzilla. I got Godzilla on the yep. brain for some reason lately. Sure. What kaiju who never had his own film do you wish had one of his own or her own, I guess? Okay. Um, my, my standard answer to this is Anguirus, mm. but I think I might change that. Oh, what was his name? I just looked it up. It's the blue kaiju that has a bumpy skin, warty skin, looks kind of like a cat. Gabara? I think it's Gabara, and he only pops up in one or two movies as an a, a opponent to Godzilla. Oh, oh. Why am I? Why am I making this so hard? Punch, punch, punch. <laughs> See, I, I was sitting on that. I was sitting on that. You know, should it be? Oh, it's got to be Jet Jaguar. Yeah, I love me some Jet Jaguar, man. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we get Ultraman, so that's not that far off from Jet Jaguar. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, but still, let's do a Jet Jaguar. I movie. would love to see that. I would love to see yeah. that. But yeah, Gabra is the one that's like a cat. Uh, got the yeah. bumps. You got the, the scaly skin, and yeah, yeah it's kind of green or blue. Yep. Uh, I 
Yeah, so we'll do that, or or maybe King Caesar. I've always liked the look of King Caesar. Yeah, I always like the look. King Caesar looks great. Yeah. So, are you see- how about all three of them? Okay. Why not? All right, you said you had something, so let, let's hear number five come I've from got, you. So the number five question for you, Derek: What literary property would you have liked to have seen Hammer take a shot at? Oh, well, I know they had plans to do Vampirella based on the comic, which is kind yeah. of a literary property. I mean, it is a literary property. Yeah, yeah I was thinking. Yeah, hmm. more, more. Yeah, but I got an idea. And you're going to go <gasps> and that kind of did it, but it's different. I mean, so. I know, but go I ahead. Did, you know, they've got Frankenstein, Dracula, blah, blah, right. blah, Jekyll and Hyde. Right. Their their take on a War of the Worlds would have been interesting, but I feel like they tapped oh, into wow. a lot of that with Quatermass. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool though. Yeah, if they went full on war uh, and and stuck with the Wales story a lot closer. Yeah, you know what? That's what I'm going to go with. I think I would. Yeah, I think that would be I cool. They do a really good job. Of yeah, that, that would have been neat to see. Yeah, so I was thinking Solomon Kane. Oh. <laughs> But then I was like, oh, man, they kind of did it with Captain Cronus. I know. I, You know, yeah. see, my brain, but, I always want to go to Robert E. Howard when it comes to things like this. And yeah. I, I don't know if Hammer, I, oh, I do like my Solomon Kane. Or, yeah, yeah. Because that was, I mean, granted, we always think of Hammer, you think of that gothic, mm-hmm. and that's you know, Solomon Kane gothic. But I wonder would they be able to do a decent Conan or maybe a Brand Mac Morn? Um, Something like that, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine if they did like uh, Pigeons from Hell or one of Howard's yeah. horror stories? Oh, that would be cool. Although they'd have to kind of transplant a lot of his horror because probably right. Howard's full on American, you know, and Howard's oh, yeah. not. But <laughs> it still would have been interesting to see. Yeah. So, uh, so is there. I was thinking uh, just in general, I don't not necessarily hammer. Is there something out there you want somebody or would like to see somebody do that hasn't been done mm. or done better than it has been done? <laughs> Solomon Kane. No, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that film. I know a lot of people are, I, but I just. No, I'm not either. It it's it's okay. Yeah. Cool. I was thinking. Um, and, and I'm taking over to let That's you, okay. let you think right. a little bit. I went to two places with this. I want somebody to do a really good version of the Pellucidar books. Okay. And so, you know, we get a really good at the Earth's core mm. and a really good Tarzan. I just like that hollow Earth idea, and I want to see a nice, nicer version of that. Or lay brackets eric john stark series okay which would be phenomenal i don't think i've read that thing so take take uh john carter uh-huh. edgar rice burris john carter and slam it together with star wars okay look her up she's it's super fantastic space opera with cool settings that takes place inside our solar system and the main character was raised on mercury on the dark side of mercury I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a while since I've read okay. it. But he's he's a kind of a John Carter. He's a little bit stronger than everybody else because of his gravity. It's fun. It's space opera. It's some of the best space opera you can think of. Okay. Spaceships, exotic settings, kind of Carson of Venus 
feel to it also. Right on. Oh, that was fun, man. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for bringing your question to the table. That was fun. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I like thinking up questions for the classic file. Well, you've got gaming in your blood, man. Questions and games and all that because you run the Go Forth and Game Empire. The Empire. The Empire of Five. <laughs> Tell people about it. Go Forth and Game is my podcast blog that I've been doing for about 11 years now. The blog part, podcast for seven. And on it, I interview board game designers, board game publishers, you know, board and card game, role-playing game. Occasionally talk to you know, authors and, and things like that. So it's just it's an interview show similar to this. And we just get on and talk about people's games. And uh, I used it to support the small board game publisher and designer self-publishing industry that uh, I felt needed some more press. So it's been going for a while. It's kind of uh, faded. Uh, COVID kind of took the wind out of my gaming. So I'm not uh, as prolific as I once was. I, there for a while I was putting out episode a week, but not anymore. That's maybe once a month now. Thinking about maybe some changes happening with it. Uh, I've got a pod uh, interview with my friend Micah Harris, also a friend of Monster Kid Radio, mm -hmm. that's coming up about his latest book that's called Portrait of War, Ice, and Dragons. It's the end uh, cap to his Win uh, Witches of Winter trilogy. Uh, and it's a super fun book. It's very pulpy. Uh, it's got a shadow kind of character in it. It's got mammoths and mastodons and cavemen and a Tarzan-like character and a queen and dragons. There you go. So it's a lot of fun. And it's honestly, it's probably the best thing he's ever written. Um, so, hey, listeners, head on over to Amazon. Check that out. There you go. Yep. So that's, that's Go Forth and Game. And you were going to be on there at one time, but we had technical difficulties on my end. No, that, that was Steve's lost. fault. That must have been Steve's fault. It totally fault. was Steve's so. fault. Thanks yeah. a lot, buddy. So, yeah, we'll have to do that again now. And I need you to remember exactly what you said a year ago so we can do <laughs> this right. Because it was, listeners, it was a fantastic interview, a talk, a talk, just a talk about horror and gaming. And, boy, we, it was really, really fun. And I'm just so sorry that y'all just don't get to listen to it because I can listen to it whenever I want now. <laughs> But it's got some got some bad audio stuff that Derek could probably clean up. Oh, I can. Well, but you've got enough to do. Yeah, I was gonna say it's probably easier to just re-record, man. Um, seriously, I'm gonna try to check with Steve and see when we can do that. Maybe sometime in the first of the year or something like that. Once things settle down. Right on. So, go forth and game can be found where? Goforthandgame.com. There we go. And you'll find it on most of your major podcast producers. Or Output people places, Spotify. <laughs> Podcast Apple producer Podcasts. output people places. Got it. Yeah. Podcatchers, I guess is what they're, <laughs> the term you call them now. The things where the words come out. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Oh, yeah. Derek, you can oh. always. <laughs> I will say you can always count on me, but <laughs> we really know that you can't. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. I know. It's my fault. You announced it before, and it's my fault that, we, you know, we hadn't 
done this sooner because I got busy and missed our uh, recording session. Real life gets in the way, man. It's all good. Totally understandable. Not the end of the world and totally worth waiting for. It absolutely was. You're always worth waiting for. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Colonel, the message is Mars needs women. These were the words that startled the world. This was the reason for an invasion that shocked the Earth. Martians, beings from outer space, with one prime objective. Women, Earth women, to help repopulate their dying planet, to bring new blood to an ancient civilization. Beauty and the beasts, only the beasts were men, Martian men, every woman checked and double checked, only the most perfect, the most beautiful. Is Earth to be ravished because Mars needs women? is just the beginning of the wildest, weirdest adventure you've ever seen. I don't care for playing fair, I'm not the sharing kind. Now, anything goes. And everything grows. This is where the fun really began. I wonder if this makes everything grow. Hey, will you cut it out and leave it alone, huh? Freddy boy, if I want to try some of this stuff, just don't you try and stop me, understand? And try it, they did. It's wild. It's way out. It's Village of the Giants. All right, let's close out the show with a little bit of feedback. We've got two voicemails that I want to address here. First of all, here's Captain Billy. Hey, Derek. Hey, group. Captain Billy here. Uh, I don't know if this is going to come in time for the feedback episode, so uh, if it doesn't, I apologize. But uh, And please, Derek, don't stay up all night editing. If it does, just get some rest. Everybody needs their rest, including you. Go to bed. Shut off the computer and go to sleep. So uh, two things. One, I had thought of, well, actually, I thought of two questions for, um, oh, the, uh, what is it, the five, the five questions of Dr. Derek? I think that's what you call that segment, right? So uh, the one question, the one thing I thought of, and maybe you have this question already, so maybe that's where I got it from. I don't remember hearing it. I think I pulled that out of my own head. But what classic horror film, or not so classic, have you just seen recently, say in the last couple of years, some classic that you should have seen by now in your life, and you only saw it recently, say the last couple of years? And the other part, flip side of that is what horror, classic horror film have you never seen? 
So I got two for this. See, I can answer. I ask a question. I answer my own question. So the one I had finally saw after you know thirty or forty years was uh, War of the Gargantuans. Gargantuas, Gargantuans. This movie played in Cleveland uh, in the seventies. My friends would talk about the that cool movie with the orange monster and the green monster. Uh, I just never got around to seeing it. I don't. I it's, the only thing I could figure is maybe it played in the summer a lot. And you know, if it was Saturday, usually I was outside playing. And Sunday, a lot of times we went to the beach on Sunday because we lived right by Lake Erie. So you know, normal healthy things you're supposed to do when you're a child. You know, being outside in the summertime. So yeah, but I would hear my friends talk about this movie, and I don't remember avoiding it intentionally, but I just never got around to seeing it. So finally, Turner Classic Movie showed it a couple years ago. I think it was part of the Godzilla uh, for a 50th anniversary in Criterion. The, when they all came out on Criterion on Blue, Turner showed I think almost all of them, and then part of that so Kaiju series was War of the Gargantuan, so I finally saw it there. The one I have not seen, and I still haven't seen, I've owned a copy for years, Spider Baby. I had to think about that one for a while, but yeah, I have a copy of Spider Baby, a super deluxe thing with bonus stuff, and have not seen it, have not yet to watch it. I did pull it off the shelf, it is sitting next to the TV, next to the Blu-ray player, and I'm still waiting for me to just get up and put it in. So here's the other observation or thought I had recently. So Bride of Frankenstein, a classic universal monster, the least amount of screen time out of all of them. Less than three minutes, three minutes, something like that, three or four minutes, something like that. Probably instantly recognizable by hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who have never seen the film Bride of Frankenstein. Merch, t-shirts, toys, the whole nine yards. For four minutes, maybe four minutes of screen time, three and a half. Dracula's Daughter? Good luck finding anything. Where is Dracula's, da Dracula's daughter, Migo? Where's her bobblehead? Where's her pop figure? Where's a t-shirt, anything? I can't believe that Universal has another, and I, she's got a whole movie. She's done a whole, I, 90, 100 minutes, I don't know how long it is, I've but she's got a whole movie. And there's hardly any, I don't know if there's been an official figure ever, I know there's been garage battle kits, I know that. Other than that, I don't know, and maybe a t-shirt here or there, and the videotape, and the DVD, but, I mean, where, why Universal, I know she doesn't have a more distinct look, it's just that black, but it just seems to me, maybe if you tweak a little bit of her design, she'd be just as marketable as as the Bride of Frankenstein. I mean, I just, I don't know what, if somebody has a good reason, please call in and, you know, tell me why Universal's never bothered selling their other big horror, female horror stars, so. Derek, as usual, great show. Keep up the good work and get some rest. Thanks. So there's a couple of things here, Captain Billy. First of all, Spider Baby, we're talking about next week on the show. Stay tuned for more information about that. So you've got a week to watch it. It's in the public domain, so you should be able to find it on YouTube or any other online source. At least I think it's still in the public domain. I don't think it's been retroactively thrown out of the public domain but yeah check it out it's a good film it really is a, a really neat film and i'm eager for next week's episode so you can hear all about it what classic horror film have i just recently seen that i probably should have seen by now you know i feel like this is actually something that kind of follows me around because there are so many movies out there that i still haven't seen that are considered classics how long did it take me to see things like the incredible shrinking man or invasion of the body snatchers which we'll talk about here in a second I don't know what the most recent classic horror film that I've seen that I probably should have seen by now is. I'd have to review my list and I do keep track of all the movies that I watch. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. 
And what classic horror film have I never seen yet? And that's another one of those situations where there are classics out there that I just haven't seen. This is going to take a little bit of time for me to think about and really come up with some titles. So I'm going to put a pin in this for now while I do some digging and kind of just take some inventory of the movies that I own, the movies that I've watched, and so on. Dracula's Daughter is an amazing film. It is very underrated, but it is so moody. It is so good. And it's so coded. And what I mean by that is, and I'm not going to get into a lot of the politics here, but back in the 30s, you had the Hays Code and you had certain things you couldn't talk about on screen. And some of these things would be uh, just completely eliminated. And other things might make their way into the film, but subverted a little bit or, or hidden so that somebody who's trying to enforce the Hays Code might not get it right away. What I'm getting at is, is that a lot of scholars will look at Dracula's daughter and see uh, some queer coding in this movie that you're seeing some things represented in the movie that could imply or just flat out show or state homosexuality and whatever they were really trying to do with the film at the time, the filmmakers in question that was kind of there. And I think once you kind of open your eyes to it, I think it's kind of hard to miss that you see a little bit of that there. And I wonder if part of that has influenced Universal's kind of stance on not promoting Dracula's daughter nearly as much. You know, I'm all about inclusivity and I, I hope that's clear uh, in my everyday actions. I, I feel like I shouldn't even have to say it, but there's especially the scene with Dracula's daughter and Lily, the woman that she brings in or that Sandor brings in from the street. So there's that. And that's something to consider. Uh, you know, I just wonder if that was part of the reason why Universal did not push Dracula's daughter a little bit more than they did. I don't know how it did box office wise, I'd have to dig a little bit deeper on that. However, if you want to learn more about Dracula's Daughter and its place in history regarding the representation and any coding that might be found in the film, it's real easy. Just do a Google search for Dracula's Daughter coding and it's going to come up. Uh, I would recommend the website Ghoulish. It has a pretty good article on it called The Queer Coffin of Dracula's Daughter. I'd recommend that one. It's about a 10-minute read. I'll put a link in the show notes, in fact, because I find it pretty fascinating. I mean, some publicity material described Dracula's Daughter as giving you that weird feeling. So read into that, whatever you want. I don't know. It's just fascinating to look at and kind of disheartening sometimes, too. And we have one more voicemail. It comes from somebody who hasn't been on the show since a Monster Bash episode. So it's been a while. And it's somebody that I'd like to have on the show proper at some point. Anyway. Here's his voicemail. Hello there, Derek and the gang. This is Mark Holmes calling from all the way out east in New Jersey. I just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed the last couple of months of Monster Kid Radio. You guys have been killing it week after week after week. There have been many times that I've actually stopped watching on YouTube to go uh, visit or revisit the movie so I could uh, be fresh in my head to follow along with you guys on, during your uh, commentaries. There was one thing I missed, though, on your uh, Body Snatchers. 
review, it was definitely set in the 50s. And you guys didn't even touch on the communist scare that the movie had an allegory to, where they, the, when I viewed it, I assumed that it was a uh, take on communism moving into middle and rural America. So that's something you may want to touch on if you ever go back and revisit that episode. And Derek, this is personally for you. I want you to stop thinking and go out there and just make your movie. It can be short, it can be long, it can be in between, big budget, low budget. Pick up a camera and just make the movie. All right, take care and keep on being Monster Kids. Did we not talk about that? I would be shocked if we... Actually, I guess we didn't. If you're saying we... I'm, wow. Um, yeah, that's so obvious when it comes to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's a huge part of it. So obvious that maybe I just didn't mention it because I thought, I don't know what I was thinking. I was so overwhelmed by that film. It was the first time I had seen the movie. There's so much in there. I would like to go back and rewatch it. To kind of see what else I missed because it's got a lot of really cool stuff in it. Oh, it's such a good film. Probably one of my favorite discoveries when it comes to monster kid radio. And I feel like I've got a lot of those, like the planet of the apes movies, invasion of the body snatchers, things like that. Just so good. So good. And the movie thing. So Mark is responding to a comment that I made on Facebook. It's been several weeks now where I just posted. I think I kind of want to make a monster movie. I'd like to talk a little bit about my past here real quick. And I'm going to talk about this on an upcoming YouTube video as well over at my It's Pronounced Cook YouTube channel. And I've said this so many times that I used to think I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up. Well, it wasn't just a dream. I actually tried to do something about it. I ran around town in Cheyenne, Wyoming when I was growing up with a video camera and my friends making movies or what I thought were movies at the time. <laughs> you know, uh, the best movies that a teenager or young adult could make with other teenagers and young adults with no money, no access, no real resources. You know, it was fun. And I took a bunch of classes at a community college for video production that gave me access to some editing equipment that was a hand-me-down equipment from the local news station. Then I went to film school for a few years and made one short film in a class there. I don't even know if I have a copy of that on tape anywhere now. I should look and see. Tape? Maybe I had it turned to DVD. I don't know. I'd love to find it, though. And then I dropped out of film school. I kind of washed out. And uh, it's one of my biggest regrets, actually. I would have loved to have... I don't know. I, I have a lot of regrets lately. Anyway, uh, I did end up making a short film with... Mike Marisitz and Matthew Rashley. Mike, Matt, and I formed a company called Dead End Pictures. And when I say formed a company, we just started calling ourselves Dead End Pictures and set up a website. We didn't do anything formal. We ended up making this short zombie movie called Cash Only on video. It actually won an award for best special effects, probably because it was the only horror movie in the batch and had some blood. But, you know, I'll take it. And it was actually awarded this from a company based out of Canada. So I was quick to tell everybody that my zombie movie was an international award winner for whatever that was worth. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually glad that that happened because that made it possible for me to actually list the movie on the Internet Movie Database. Now, Matt, Mike, and I were going to make an anthology film as well called Combustibles. And it was going to be a series of short subjects because that's what amateur horror movie makers do, right? They make anthology films that seems to be a very popular way to kind of get started and we shot a bunch and it 
never saw completion. Matt ended up getting a job at a TV station in a different city. Mike and I kind of drifted away from the whole thing, and uh, I just kind of spun my wheels for a long time. Things didn't finish the way that they should have, and, and it's another one of my regrets. When I moved up here to the Portland, Oregon area, I wanted to have a movie in the Lovecraft Film Festival so bad, so bad. But after having gone to the Lovecraft Film Festival uh, and, uh, you know, kind of doing my research, I thought, I don't want to just do another Lovecraft piece. I want to do something that is still, quote unquote, weird and Lovecraftian, but, you know, not quite Lovecraft. And I had met up and hooked up with another group of people up here because you really can't make movies on your own, at least those kinds of movies. And we formed a little production company again. We were calling ourselves Best Destiny, uh, which came from a Star Trek novel and was a reference to a line in Star Trek when I believe it's Spock. Is it Spock that tells Kirk that being a Starship captain is Best Destiny? Anyway, we formed this little group and there were two movies that we made. One was based on a Lovecraft story. One was based on a Robert E. Howard story. Mine was the Howard piece. The Howard piece was accepted. The Lovecraft piece was not. Uh, I was an actor and a special effects guy in the Lovecraft piece, whereas I co-wrote and pretty much co-directed the Howard piece. And it got shown, and it didn't go over very well. And it really kind of crushed me, and I let it hurt my feelings deeper than I should have. I drifted away from filmmaking after that. I really let it impact me in a, in a hard way. And I really started to reevaluate what I was doing and what I was about. And then the group that I would connected with the best destiny group kind of fell apart as well for some stupid young adult drama stuff. And yeah, that's what happened. And I got out of filmmaking after that. I think I will be making a movie again. I'm actually reconnected with Matt at this point and Mike as well. So Matt, Mike, and I have something that we can do together. I don't think we'll ever finish that Combustibles anthology movie. I don't think we have enough footage to do that. I don't even know if the footage survives to this day. I need to double check. Matt says he's got some stuff in his garage, and Mike says that I gave him a bunch of raw footage and told him to never lose those tapes, and he recently found those somewhere. But, you know, it's just a matter of sitting down and seeing what we have, taking stock, and maybe making something with it about it about us we'll see so stay tuned and then maybe after that i can see about doing a narrative film but thanks for calling in mark i really appreciate it now if you have any feedback for the show anything about this episode or anything that came up on this episode any of the previous episodes anything that's happened in the monster kid movie club or astronomy club or if you want to contribute your top three universal hammer and kaiju films you can call and leave a voicemail for monster kid radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Of course, this information is also available on our website over at monsterkidradio.net. There's links to everything we've talked about on this episode of the podcast. There's Amazon affiliate links to everything that's been mentioned here. So if you want to pick up anything and help support Monster Kid Radio through shopping through Amazon, well, please use the Amazon affiliate links. That helps us out. If there's something else that you'd like to get on Amazon that is not listed as an actual Amazon affiliate button, there is one button that has Frankenstein's Monsters Shadow or Silhouette. You click on that, that'll just take you to regular Amazon. 
doesn't cost you any extra to use any of these links. It just helps us out and keeps a few pennies out of Jeff Bezos's pockets. Not that he's going to miss it. Also on our website, you're going to find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter page, our Discord, and our Reddit, and our Patreon, which is currently being revamped. I talked about this last week a little bit. I'll mention it briefly here. We are redoing the whole thing. The reward levels are being stripped down to three different reward levels, a $1, a $5, and a $10 level. The $5 level gets you access to a private YouTube video of a movie that's been enhanced and cleaned up a little bit by me using the software that I use to prepare some of the movies for the Monster Kid Movie Club streams. The $10 reward will get you a discord invite to get to a private discord server where we will be having conversations polls questions chatting it up talking classic five stuff and even doing monthly movie screenings there as well so if you're interested in supporting the show through patreon that's where you're going to want to go just look at monster kid radio on patreon or follow the link i have not had a chance to update the reward levels yet just so you know that will be happening probably next week Coming up next week on the show, speaking of next week, is, as mentioned earlier, Spider-Baby. And I'm going to be talking about that movie with Chris Franklin. He's a podcaster. He's a longtime friend of the show. He's a heck of an artist. And he is the one who recommended or suggested we talk about Spider-Baby. It is a movie that I'd seen before, but I was more than happy to revisit it and talk about it with Chris. So that's coming up next week. So Captain Billy, you've got a little bit of time still to catch up and check that out. And everybody can check that one out. And come back next week to hear us talk about it. And of course, unless something happens, uh, we got the beta capsule review and the look at famous monsters of Filmland as well. Now this weekend in the monster kid movie club, I don't know what's happening, but I know we're showing something now with my new work schedule. I'm in training from 7 a.m. to I think 3 p.m. Pacific. I'll have to double check. And I believe that goes through the weekend. I'm pretty sure it does anyway. I'm not 100% sure, but I will make sure that I'm able to reach over and hit start when it's time to start the stream at 11 a.m. Pacific. Guess who's back? Scott Morris is back, and he's already told me that he started putting together a pre-show for this week. He and Tracy Morris have been out having a good time at Disney World. They'll be talking about it on an upcoming episode of Disney Indiana over at DisneyIndiana.com, so go check that out. But he's got a pre-show at 11 a.m. Pacific. We'll be running that, and then around noon, the movies will start. And then I don't know how late it's going to go. I don't know what movies we're going to show. going to be playing that one by ear like I did last weekend, which was actually a lot of fun and then the same for the monster kid astronomy club we really freewheeled it last time <laughs> with the flying saucer thing that we did and i'll be doing something over there on tuesday as well again though i just don't know what so stay tuned follow the channel over at twitch.tv slash monster kid radio you know i think i'm going to take captain billy's advice i'm going to go ahead and go to bed so i'm going to wrap up the show by reminding you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Beach Party of the Damned. That is copyright 2019 Black Valley Moon. It is from the album The Baleful Sounds of Black Valley Moon Volume 1. You can find the entire album over on Bandcamp at blackvalleymoon.bandcamp.com or blackvalleytampa.bandcamp.com. 
Com. Go check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Check out all the albums. I love this music. Black Valley Moon, again, you know, I said earlier, a particular movie was one of my new favorites that I discovered through the show. Black Valley Moon is one of my favorite bands that I've discovered through the show. I have a list of bands that I really, really like. Like, I like all the music, don't get me wrong, but there's a specific list of music that I go back to and listen to even when I'm not working on the show. Black Valley Moon is one of those bands, so check them out. And I'm not just saying that because Sam wrote in, I genuinely like what they do. So check them out. I think you'll be glad that you did. I'll talk to everybody next week. So until then, ciao. (laughs) 